Blog Talk Radio. Turmoil Turmoil fans, welcome to the show on a Sunday afternoon here. Sign guy along with the coach with the most coming at us from coast to coast. He doesn't mean to brag, but he makes a really good sourdough toast. Coach Mike Jones, real fast before we jump into things today, if you're looking for some pro wrestling today, Warrior Pro Wrestling making its return to Danville, Indiana, AWS in Orangeburg, South Carolina, brand new company, NWW in Tucson, Arizona, and the big show in New York, New York today, Game Changer Wrestling, featuring Ruby Riot, former guest of this very show, Cole Roderick, and my former tag team partner, Hoodfoot Mo Atlas. So good luck to all the people there in Game Changer. Hope they have a successful show along with all the rest of the shows running. Get out there, support local wrestling if it's near you. But without further ado, I want to jump into things with our guest today. I've been looking very, very forward to having him on the show. Fans of pro wrestling that were around 20 to 25 years ago will recall his website, scoopswrestling.com. Al Isaacs, welcome to the show. We're delighted to have you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, guys. Well, it is your first time with us, so I'm going to lead you off with our traditional first-timer question. What right. got you into the professional wrestling business? Oh, man, there's about seven different ways I can answer that. Um, I guess the best would be to say that um, I became a fan when I was 12 years old here in Long Island, New York. My dad took me uh, to see Tony Atlas versus Don Morocco in a steel cage match at Nassau Coliseum, and I was never the same. That just warped my little brain, and uh, <laughs> I grew up being a huge fan, and, uh, you know, I was at the right place at the right time um, with uh, the Internet becoming, uh, you know, a big thing when I, when I was in my early 20s. Um, I had been doing uh, a sports uh phone line, you know, results and such with football and basketball and, and a little pro wrestling, which was my favorite part of it. And I happened to be in a business meeting for a different internet venture. And uh, at the very tail end of the meeting, literally putting my coat on to walk out the door, um, the owner of this said, you know, I understand you're doing voiceover work for a sports line and part of it's wrestling. We were thinking about uh, maybe putting up a wrestling page. What do you think? And it was literally like an afterthought. It was literally gone, yeah, hey, that sounds cool. Why don't we try that? And um, I started doing it, and uh, I think there were like maybe a couple of wrestling websites back then. Mikasa was the one that came to mind because I did a couple of articles for those folks. And um, I literally was writing uh, you know, a, a daily column as if I was writing for 13 or 14 friends and uh, all of a sudden, the, you know, the, the numbers came in, and it was in the thousands. And I, I, I really I had no idea that it was that, and it, it kind of blew up. Right place at the right time, you know, with the right people. So, you know, in, in a nutshell, that's kind of how I, I ended up being, you know, being the guy behind Scoops. Now, Scoops Wrestling got very big there in the late 90s, early 2000s. If you tuned into a national television wrestling show, be it Raw, Nitro, 
the pay-per-views. You would see signs for scoopswrestling.com. That became a pretty prominent thing for a long time. When you started, did you ever think it would get to the point where fans were basically advertising for you on national wrestling shows? Never in a million years. It was, I mean, that blew my mind. I'd be literally downstairs and, you know, watching a pay-per-view in my sweatpants, and my wife would come running to me. Oh, there's another sign. There's another sign. And uh, it was, it was just, it was the coolest thing. Because, like I said, you know, I, I really, when I was writing, I was literally writing it as if I was just writing for 13 friends. I, you know, I, I wrote from the point of view of a fan. That's that's what I was. You know, I, I never tried to make believe that I was better than anybody else. That I had the answers. That, that you know, I just, or that I knew better than. You know, Eric Bischoff or Vince McMahon, it was just I was coming from the point of view of a fan and someone who loved the business and, and, and respected it. And uh, for it to blow up the way it did um, was was pretty amazing, and, and probably no one was more surprised than I was. <laughs> ScoopsWrestling.com sort of led you into working with uh, other promoters and doing live wrestling shows. I know you were involved in a couple of really big independent shows. Mm-hmm. At what point in time did you decide that you wanted to do more of an actual promoting type of role in wrestling? Um, that's tough to say because I, I don't know that I, I ever really did. Um, you know, I, like, I, I, three you know things come to mind. One was... Um, Heroes of Wrestling, which is widely regarded as one of the worst pay-per-views of all time, um, and yet was like one of the best weekends of my life. You know, as I, I was there, back, I had nothing to do with booking or, or you know, I, I helped promote it online, but I, I didn't have a, you know, I didn't have any skin in the game. But man, I'll tell you what, I, I, I didn't even watch the show, but I was backstage with, you know, people I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm there with Tully Blanchard. And, uh, you know, Sherry Martell and Georgie Animal Steel. I'm having dinner with Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov and hanging out with Jimmy Snuka. I mean, and, oh, man, the greatest uh, bus ride of my life from the airport to the hotel sitting next to Captain Lou Albano. I mean, like, as a fan, what's better than that, you know? Um, I helped out with another group um, called WXO. Um, I wrote music entrance music for some of the guys. Um, the only real show that I had, um, you know, any kind of input as far as uh, creative or putting it together um, was uh, the Break the Barrier show that we did in Philly. Um, and that was, you know, it was a one-time thing, almost a two-time thing. That's a different story, though, um, where we, we just kind of had the idea because, you know, Scoops, unlike, you know, a lot of the other um, – websites that were out there we were interested in the up-and-coming guys we were interested in, in some of the, the smaller groups you know across the country and we just came up with the, you know the premise of you know what if we did one show and brought in all these different you know companies from across the country they can book the match um but we're going to decide 10 or 11 or 12 titles in one night on one show in one arena had never been done before and um you know that was just that was the best i mean you know Come on, <laughs> that, just, just, just getting to do that um, and, and be around it, um, and and it, you know it led to you know some relationships that, that I have to this day. Um, you know, again, you know, hanging out with the likes of you know Luthez and and you know having guys like Shane Douglas. You know, we you know we were looking to have someone from ECW on the show since we were in you know quote unquote ECW arena, um, and Shane Douglas, you know joined on fairly early and then called us the night before and said, I'm, I'm going to quit ECW. Can I do it on your show? Like, um, yeah. Uh, so um, it, it was just, it, it, I, I've learned in life and I try to teach my son and I try to teach it when, when I teach comedy classes, um, you know, that opportunities, you know, are going to present themselves and um, say yes, because no, no great story ever started with, you know, I almost, you know, it's. It was always 
yeah, you, you want to promote a show? Absolutely. You know, you want to come and, you know, be guest referee for a show in Mississippi? Yeah, I'll be on a plane. And and I would just go and do it. You know, it was it was at a time where, you know, there were no, um, you know, blogs weren't really a thing and there were no podcasts. You know, we were kind of writing the rules as we went along and we were always looking for, you know, new ideas and, and new ways that we can, you know, reach out to the community and, um, you know, try and help fans as well as the business. So it just seemed like a natural extension to that. Uh, you mentioned the Heroes of Wrestling, and you promoted that quite a bit on the website at the time. You were heavily involved. When you went into Heroes in Wrestling, did you think it was going to be something that could be built upon and be a regular reoccurring pay-per-view, or did you suspect going into it it was going to be a one-off type of show? Um, if you asked me the day before versus the day after, I'd have two very different answers for you. Um, and, and as far as, you know, Scoops promoted it a lot. I, I just, I kind of agreed to go down and help out and, and do interviews backstage. You know, again, the technology is not what it is today, so I didn't even get to watch the show. I was literally doing a, a live interview with people just before and just after their matches backstage. I was sitting backstage. Um, John Brodigan from the website Freak Boy um, was at our studios in New York. So fans would type in their questions. He'd read them to me over the phone. I'd ask whoever was in the room with me. I'd answer over the phone, and John would type it in. So it was as primitive as you can imagine. You know, uh, so, uh, you know, unless we were doing it by telegram or a semaphore, I can't imagine it being any more primitive. Um, but if I could tell you that everything that could possibly go wrong with this event went wrong, it, it, it would be a, a show in itself. I, there was one referee who was there, Todd Bover, who I, I, I'm still friendly with to this day. We still laugh about just how many things went wrong. You know, you, you want to say money marks were behind it? Money marks were behind it. And they did literally everything wrong from the get-go. From They had it at a beautiful venue, this uh, casino in uh, Mississippi, only problem being um, that local laws state that um, – no one under 18 you know, can ever be on the casino floor. Well, the only way to get to the venue was to walk through the casino. So you had half the audience who could not go to the show. Um, you had, I'll give you another for instance, you had uh, Abdul the Butcher on the show. I can't, you know, at the top of my head, I can't remember who Abby was facing. But as soon as there was blood, the producers backstage started freaking out. And I'm going... Dude, you, you booked Abdullah the Butcher, not Abdullah the Accountant. He's going to book. This is what he does. Have you never seen one of his matches? And then, you know, to top it all off, the whole incident with, with, with Jake Roberts showing up in, in the state that he did, um, you know, was just kind of that, that and, and Jim Neanville Neidhart not showing up at all for production meetings, walking in five minutes before showtime, cutting his promo so that everyone knew he was there and then telling everyone that they had to change the finish to the match because he thought he was going back to New York and wasn't going to lose on a pay-per-view. So it was, the deck was stacked against these guys. Um, so as it was going on, I, I, yeah, I, I said this is a one-off. There, there's no way this is becoming anything more. I mean, they kind of had you know, an idea in their head that you know, they, they could have a – a legends thing, and that you know nostalgia on its own was going to carry it. Um, you know, you had matches like Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov versus the Bushwhackers, and that was being savaged online. And you know, it was funny to me because I'm going, wait a second, these guys were putting on literally the same match they would have put on 15, 20 years ago. Like they were never high flyers, they were never going to, you know, but they were doing what they do. Um, so. It, it, it was just, you know, cluster F from from the word go. But I had a blast. I have so many amazing memories and stories from that that I, I wouldn't trade for anything. I believe Abdullah's opponent that night was one-man gang, if I remember correctly. Y you are correct. 
Yes. <laughs> and let me tell you something. They, when you first got there and, and you walked into the hotel, they handed you meal vouchers. And the only restaurant at this particular casino was a buffet. So um, going to the buffet with the boys and walking in with one-man gang, Yokozuna, about 14 different Tongans, Samoans, um, the manager there just began to weep openly when he realized it, it, it was all going away. <laughs> His dream of opening a restaurant was going to end in, in tears. So it was awesome. Uh, one of the things that happened at the Break the Barriers show that you did in Philadelphia, you uh, were actually powerbombed through a table on that show. Yes, sir. When you were going into the show as the promoter, did you go in knowing you wanted to do something physical on the show, or was it something that came up late in the game? Not even a little bit. Um, this is one of my favorite stories in the world. Uh, my wife makes me tell it. So we are doing the show, and we're a couple of matches in, and um, we really didn't have a finish. Yeah, we were having these great matches. All this awesome stuff was going on. We had the idea that there was going to be a battle royale at the end with all the different factions, all the different guys who won their matches. But that was kind of the extent of it. We're, you know, we have a trophy, and, and one guy is going to be the, you know, the break the barrier winner. And that was, that, was, that was as far as we kind of went. And... Um, we had uh, we, there was one wrestler there um, from a California promotion who looked uh, just like uh, a comedian friend of mine who was with us, Paul Bond. And uh, the guy went to Paul and said, "You know, you look a lot like me. Why don't you be my manager?" So Paul came running over. Oh, I'm going to be a manager. Oh, that's great. Good for you, Paul. And uh, every few minutes or so, Paul would come running back to him. Oh, I'm, I'm taking a bump. Oh, I'm getting punched. Oh, I'm going to drop kicked. Oh. So I'm going, well, that's, that's great. And now, you know, this is going back 20-something years. I was a little more, uh, with how should I put it? I was more competitive at that time. And I'm going, boy, you know, Paul's doing all this stuff. That's, that's, that's good, you know, good for him. And uh, they're still talking about how, you know, we really don't have a finish to the show. And then um, someone came up to the folks who are in the back with me, and they said, you know, Whoever wins should powerbomb you through a table. And we all started laughing, and by everyone, I mean just me, because they were all serious. And I said, um, really? Do you, you really you think I should take a powerbomb through a table? Oh, yeah. So then the discussion started with, uh, well, who should do it? And uh, we landed on Tom Brandy, um, you know, Sal Sincere from WWF days. Um, and we brought Brandy in. And my wife happened to be walking by at the time, and I said, honey, guess what? I'm, I'm going to take a powerbomb through a table. And she's like, oh, okay. And she kind of walked away. I don't think she conceived in her head what a powerbomb was. So um, we're kind of in the back um, with, uh, with Tom, and Tom's walking me through it. And, you know, all right, I'm going to lift you up this way. you got to do a sit-up, and, you know, then you go through the table. And we're going, great. And uh, as, as we're practicing, my wife had come back and took a look at us rehearsing a powerbomb and then freaked out. Um, and, you know, a lot of the other wrestlers, they loved Teresa. She's so down to earth and she wasn't starstruck by anybody. And, and they came over to her and they said, you know, it's cool. Tom's going to take care of him. It's going to be great. You don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. She was still worked up. And the way we kind of worked it out was that Tom was going to win. We were going to bring him to the ring. Um, Luthez was going to present the, uh, the trophy that night. And, um, you know, it was all going to go down. So I told my wife, I said, look, you know, after I take this powerbomb, i got to sell it like I'm dead. So you just kneel next to me, grab my hand, and when I squeeze your hand, you'll know I'm okay. And if I don't squeeze your hand, get medical attention. But I sh I'll squeeze your hand, you'll, be, you know, you'll know I'm fine. So here we go. Whole thing's going down. They had the battle royal. Tom Brandy wins. We walk to the ring. Lou, everyone else. Now, um, don't know how familiar you are with Luthez. Um, 
Babe Ruth of wrestling, and even in his 70s, which he was at that point, you still don't mess with Lou. And Lou loved my wife. You know, he was Uncle Lou to us. And uh, as soon as stuff started going down, Lou told Teresa to get out of the ring. He was very protective. So she got out of the ring. He got out of the ring. Brandy had me up. Boom, powerbomb. I'm through the table, and I'm laying there motionless. And the place is going crazy, and uh, Brandy is walking around the ring. You know, he's, he grabbed the microphone, and he's bad-mouthing the crowd, and he's saying this is what the promoter gets when he messes with me, and blah, 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 blah. And he turns around to where my wife is, and my wife, mind you, is Sicilian. Um, when Tom turned to her, she full-on slapped him across the face as hard as she could. Just instinct <laughs> took over. This is not promoted. This is not booked. This is not planned. She just pops him, and the place goes nuts. Now, meanwhile, I'm laying there, eyes shut, going, is someone coming to save me? What was that pop for? I don't, I don't know what's happening. Anyway, Brandy's standing there. He can't hit her back. So instead, he comes back into the ring, folds the table over me, the broken pieces, and just begins stomping on it as hard as he can. And I'm like, what? We didn't talk about this. We didn't plan any of this. But meanwhile, he's beating on me, and I'm wondering where Teresa is. She's never come to squeeze my hand and check on me. So anyway, um, he gets done, and, and he bails out of the ring. I'm still laying there. Um, Chris Lash, who uh, was one of the promoters there that night, rest in peace. Chris passed away uh, just a few months ago. Loved the guy. Nicest guy in the, in the business. Chris uh, comes in wearing a paramedic's jacket, and he, he comes over to me, and he says, Al, you, you fine? I says, let me, let me check. And, you know, it's like the adrenaline's just pumping through my body. So I'm taking kind of mental inventory, you know, toes, knees, arms, spine, neck. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. He's like, you know, he wants to stretch you out. I said, no, 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 carry me out. Just, just get me up on my feet, and, and I'll be fine. But look, let Teresa know I'm okay. So Chris says, okay. And he rolls out of the ring, and he goes over to my wife and says, Teresa, Al's okay. But again, with the adrenaline pumping and in the moment, he might as well have said, Teresa, Al's dead. Because she just bursts out crying, which is selling the whole thing even more. And the crowd is getting even crazier. And now two other wrestlers from the back who, again, in, in, in paramedics, gear come into the ring and they get me up on my feet and I got my arms over their shoulders and the crowd is chanting Al's hardcore Al's it was one of those crazy again you asked me about the other stuff if I could have ever imagined it when I was a kid this was off the charts and they you know we, we walk all the way to the back and, and we get behind the, the curtain and someone comes running and goes I can't believe you hit Tom Brandy and I'm looking up going, I didn't hit Tom Brandy. What the hell are you talking about? And I look over, my wife is standing going, I'm so sorry. Tell Tom, I'm, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. And Brandy walks over, he's like, what the hell? <laughs> and it was cool because within seconds on the Internet, it, the laundry list of medical uh, issues that I had, that were, the, the sheets were reporting, everything from, you know, collarbones and broken hip and spinal deformity, it ran the gamut. But then in the next couple of days and the phone's ringing, they're going, hey, who was the wrestler playing your wife? <laughs> no, no, no. That's my little Italian wife. That's how it is. And what's great is when I, I tell that story to, to like comedians, they go, oh, my gosh, that, that is so funny. But when I tell it to other wrestlers who had seen it and were there, like, that is the most romantic thing ever. <laughs> she, she, you know, my little 92-pound wife stepping between me and, and, and Brandy and, and taking the shot, you know, come on, that's love. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, a, that was a heck of a way to end the show. That sounds like a great unexpected way to end the show. <laughs> Never forget that. Um, you ran scoops there for a long time and there were a lot of writers that worked for scoopswrestling.com uh, people would do reviews of different shows they would do different articles there were a lot of uh, writers involved in it 
Mm-hmm. Once in a while, one of the people would do something that would be a bit controversial, even for that era in the attitude yeah. era that Scoops was in. Was there ever anything that became so controversial that made you regret working with a particular person or even regret uh, doing scoops.com? Okay. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I have never regretted working with any of my writers. You know, I, I brought everyone in. And it's looking back, it is crazy, the folks who worked on scoops. Because, um, you know, aside from me and, you know, a few other fans who just had the same dream, you know, Samoa Joe was one of my writers. You know, he was, he was covering the California indie scene as SoCal Joe. Um, you know, guys, guys who were, were injured and just wanted to remain kind of in, in the public eye, guys like Mark Marrow, you know, came on and wrote, and Luthez. But I think the guy you're, you're talking about, the late Chris Hyatt, the late, great Chris Hyatt, who did my, my Nitro and Raw report and just became these epic, it was almost like Raw and Nitro adjacent because some weeks I don't even know if he ever even discussed the show that we had to hire someone else to do the actual results because he would hand in this 12-page opus, you know, the length of Lord of the Rings, where he would just go on these crazy kind of stream of consciousness rants. And I, I have never regretted hiring him. I mean, the, the guy was uh, amazing, probably brought as many people to scoops, if not more, than, than me. Um, but there was a time um, when we were, you know, eventually we were purchased uh, by the, uh, the parent company of IGN. It was a snowball.com were, were the folks. But um, we were being vetted by a bunch of different companies. One of them was CBS Sports. And we realized with CBS Sports, it's like, you know, you, you, you can't do, you know, what Chris was doing to the same extent. And we would have discussions where I'm going, you know, look, you got to keep it PG-13. You, you, you can't go full hardcore on me. And, you know, I, I still to this day, when, I, when I'm teaching comedy classes, you know, there are so many um, similarities and parallels between the world of, of professional comedy and the world of professional wrestling. And one of the things I tell, you know, these up-and-coming comedians is that when a club tells you, you know, to keep it, you know, R, you know, don't cross the line, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion, this, that, or the other thing, saying, you know, we have a group, I, I, you know, that y- you kind of have to respect that for whatever reason. And if you don't want to respect that, then you shouldn't work at that club, right? It's, it's, it's not a matter of censorship. It's not a matter of, it's just like, you know, you're talking about the, you know, at, at that stage in, in your career, you know, there's a lot more on the line than just you. So in, in this instance, there was a lot more on the line than just Chris, whether he was going to write for scoops or not write for scoops. Um, you know, there was my livelihood. There was the livelihood of all my other writers, of the folks, you know, in, in uh, New York Metro, which was the parent company of us at the time. You know, so, um, you know, he just, he, he, I, I, he, for whatever reason, he couldn't see it that way. Um, so I, while I, I don't regret ever, you know, having hired him, you know, I, I wish he could have understood to be a little more professional at that time. But, man, I loved him. I, I loved, you know, what he brought to the table. It was so different um, and so unique. And, you know, he was, he was the ECW to our WCW and WWF where it's like from week to week, you just, you know, he was, he was a powder keg. You just had no idea um, what he was going to, you know, what you were going to read, what he was going to hand in, you know. But there was, you know, at the, at the time when we were being vetted, um, there were other editors and they were going through stuff. And, you know, again, they had to kind of look out for, you know, 
a lot of different people, you know, at the time. So, you know, I, I guess that that's kind of with Chris was where, where you were heading with this. That was more or less correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hyatt was one of a kind, you know, it's, and, and, and the funny thing is, you know, people were upset when, when he kind of came out and said that he was being censored and I kind of get it. I, I just don't think that, you know, people were looking at it, um, from a, a professional standpoint. It's almost like back in the day when there would be someone from ECW or somewhere else and they would sign with WCW and people would be just chanting, you know, you sold out, you know, whereas it's like he sold out, you know, he, he, he can now afford to do this full time, you know, his dream job, support his family, you know, you know, but you know, but you're considering it sold out because he's not working, you know, at, at the smaller indie fed that that you love, you know, and and a lot. Sometimes it didn't work out. Sometimes you know they were given terrible gimmicks or whatnot. But um, you know, looking for you know through the eyes of, of the professional, it's like man, no, this, he he got his you know this is the once in a lifetime opportunity. So. In, in a way, it was kind of the same thing. It's like I, I, I let I let Chris be Chris. I, let, I you know, it's just that it was more than um, his writing, his column, his career at stake. I'll give you I'll give you another quick example. Um, and this this kind of what jumped into my head when when I think about it. Um, so I, w- I was teaching a comedy club at a comedy club here on Long Island, and one of my students um, was coming along just great doing improv and doing stand-up. And he says, you know, I think I'm ready to do stand-up. So I was working, I was headlining a show um, out east here in New York. And I went to the booker and I said, hey, I got a kid. Can you do a five-minute guest spot on my show? And I said, sure. So, you know, before the show, we're, we're sitting at the bar. And I kind of, you know, I asked him, I said, you know, do you have your set ready? Do you know what you're going to talk about? He said, yeah, yeah, I'm talking about New York sports. I said, oh, that's great. I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, breaking up my girlfriend. Okay, that's great. I'm going to talk about this. I'm going to talk about it. And then I have this thing on breast cancer. And then I went, whoa, 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 whoa. Take it back, too. And he's like, what, breast cancer? I said, yeah. I was like, dude, I said, I will never tell anyone to talk about or not talk about a subject because this could very well be something that has touched you and that you're, per, you're passionate about and you have an opinion and a point of view that you want to share um, that may be ironic, that may you know, be humorous in some way. I said, but I have to warn you, you know, we're here on Long Island that has probably you know, per capita you know, one of the highest rates of breast cancer. So if there's not someone in that room currently who has it, um, their mother, sister, wife, neighbor, you know, in their lives has it. So I'm not going to tell you not to do this joke because I don't necessarily know, you know, the reason you're doing it, but just know what you're stepping into, understand your reasoning. And, you know, uh, in the back of my head, I'm going, this is this kid's first time on stage. So this is not going to end well, but again, I'm not going to tell him not to do it. And, you know, he, he learned, (laughs) he learned a very, very hard lesson that night, but an important one. So, you know, I, again, I, I, I think when it comes to writing and I think when it comes to, you know, people being edgy, I'll never tell anyone to not be edgy. And I, and I certainly didn't do it back with, uh, with Chris. But, you know, sometimes his timing, you know, <laughs> it was what it was. And, and uh, you know, I, I miss him. And, you know, ah, what can you do? Well, at this point, my co-host, Coach Mike Jones, is standing by. I know Coach has questions as well, so I'm going to pass things over to him. Coach, go for hey, it. Hey, Al. Hey, Good Al. Talk thanks you, man. for coming on. You bet. Hey, we appreciate, we appreciate it. And um, who are some of the guys that you admired growing up? Oh, growing up? Let me um, – I, I was a big Roddy Piper fan. I, I went against the – curve and and almost got my butt kicked at wrestlemania 2 for wearing a hot rod shirt um <laughs> so <laughs> there you go um man you know my, my fondest memories um you know some of the sergeant slaughter boot camp matches um my dad you know was the big yeah you know, i was i was like the wwf kid of the house and my dad was uh, old school nwa you know i mean i literally 
you know, when I sit down to dinner, I could still hear in the back of my mind, you know, the TV set from the other room talking about, you know, Gordon Soley announcing at the Omni. Um, so I, I, I watched a, a ton of Dusty Rhodes and, and Horseman stuff. Um, but um, I guess, you know, depending on, on, on how far back you want me to go, you know, Bret Hart was, was a big, you know, I was a big fan of Bret. Um, you know, I, I, yeah, as a kid, I was, I was a Hulkamaniac briefly. Um, yeah, I could sit here for hours going through this, but uh, yeah, <laughs> man. So, yeah, but you know, getting getting to meet a lot of the people that that I admired so much was just huge. So, um, yes, yeah, so to answer my question, uh, Bret Hart was probably at the top of the mountain for me. Okay, and then. Yeah, your pay-per-view, on paper, it looked like it was going to be just a great off-the-charts deal that didn't seem to turn out that way, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Well, um, again, I mean, they they kind of plastered our name all over that, but it really wasn't our show. Um, and, you know, there was actually a moment where it, it would have been more of our show because there was actually uh, – in the afternoon before things got started, um, they were asking me if I could find a tuxedo um, so that I could be play-by-play. Play. They ended up bringing in someone else um, at the last second. But um, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Where, where, where were you going with it? Oh, I was just saying that, you know, it looked like it was going to be really good, and it was sad that it didn't turn out that way. But other than that, uh, you know, one thing that was sort of sad, but it also turned out to be good, was uh, Jake Roberts on that show. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you look back, and and you know, there's a handful of guys that you just go, man, it is. It's a small miracle they are still with us. Um, and with with Jake, I'll never forget. I mean, that was that's a, that was kind of the, the pinnacle of of my kayfabe um because you know i saw jake when he first got there and he walked in and i guess whoever was with him saw me and recognized me and came running over to tell me how he had the flu and this was cough medicine and this was this and i i told them what i basically would tell anybody which was um i i don't care that you know it to me my job was to talk about what was happening in the ring and outside of that, um, I really respected kayfabe. And I was, I was tested a few times, you know, whether it was just the universe or actually tested. You know, there was one time when, when I was uh, covering a Smoky Mountain event and Kane, you know, uh, was still masked. And he walked by, you know, took his mask off Glenn Jacobs. And, you know, I had full opportunity to take a picture or do whatever. And, you know, didn't do it. I, I I always said to the guys, you know, you know, what happens back here, as long as it's not affecting what's happening out there, none of my business, and really the fans don't need to know. And that was the thing with Jake. And when I tell you that 20 minutes after I got home from the airport, my phone was ringing with Jake on, on the other line um, to talk to me about what I was going to write. And, you know, it's like, dude, it's like I, I told you that um, what what happens backstage, as long as it doesn't affect what happens in the ring, stays out of scoops. But this time it affected what happened in the ring. And, I mean, I've, I've had conversations with him for, you know, hours long. And, and some of them, you know, when people ask me about it, it was like I felt like Clarice Starling talking to Hannibal Lecter. I mean, you talk about just a brilliant, brilliant mind for this stuff that, you know, took some dark turns, you know, thank God he's still with us. Thank God, you know, DDP stepped in and, and, and saved his life. Um, you know, but man, yeah, that was, that was that night at, at, uh, heroes of wrestling, man, that was just unfortunate. doesn't even kind of put it, you know, cause I went, cause again, I was backstage doing interviews while all this was going on. So I didn't actually see him come out or see what he did in there and in the ring. And I think King Kong Bundy, like, was genius 
in, in how he kind of, you know, ended the match, you know, be, between Jake and, and between Neinhardt, you know, he kind of fixed everything, you know, as, as best he could. But all I saw were the reactions of everyone and all the investors who before the show were, were talking about like what you guys were saying, that were going, oh, this is going to be, you know, the old timers, they, what they have in baseball, this is going to be that for wrestling. And we're going to, we're going to do this every month. And we're going to like every one of them just like had no color in their face and just were going, oh man, oh, <laughs> it's like, I'm going, what happened out there? So I, I had, I hadn't even seen it yet when I got the phone call from Jake to talk. Um, yeah, but. yeah, you know, and then that wasn't his only meltdown he's had at shows, and it's on YouTube and stuff, and it was just sad to see that. Yeah. Because, you know, it, to me it was like this guy's been a hero of mine. Yeah. I got to tour, tour with him in the Jim Rose Circus, got to wrestle him at Freak Show Wrestling, got DDT'd by him, the snake on me, got to interview oh. him at the NGW Green Room. Right. And to see see him in those meltdowns, it was so sad. You're just thinking to yourself, my God, this is going to be the next guy who's going to be dead any minute now. Yeah, yeah. You like know? I said, and he, 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 to, he tops that list of, of guys that you're just going, you know, that you get the, the phone call starts ringing, you know, in the middle of the night, and you're know, like, oh, I hope it's not Jake. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's – yeah. He, I, some, you know, they have that that saying of, you know, be careful, you know, sometimes don't meet your heroes, you know. Uh, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I, again, I'm, I'm so happy that DDP's life, you know, took the 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 road that it did, and that he was there to step in, you know, someone that Jake respected and 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 would listen to. Um, you know, and DDP had the patience and the knowledge and the love um, to kind of to set him straight. You know, because I, 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 you know, I, I don't know. You know, like I said, being in in the world of comedy and being in the world of wrestling, I've seen too many times. You know, the guys who they, they go to rehab and and you think, oh, this is you know they're going to turn the corner. This is going to be the time that they're okay. And uh, a couple months later, we're right back where we started. Yeah, and then, you know, I think the same thing you think. I thank God that he recovered and yeah. he hooked up with DDP and that, look at him now, he's in a- AEW. Mm-hmm. Looks like he's having the time of his life and it's yeah. such a blessing. Well, that's it. You know, I, I think, you know, being surrounded by people who care and people who've been there and have seen this before and aren't just looking out for their own wallet. Um and, you know, the one guy that I, I point to with that was Scott Hall, where at a time when he should have been surrounded by people looking to help him and looking to guide him the right way, you had a company that's going, well, you know, everyone knows the story, so let's make it part of a storyline on TV. Let's encourage it. And that was just horrible, you know? Yeah. I mean, th- there was yeah. literally one night his ex-wife, I guess who he, who he was married to at one time, I was out at a show, and my wife uh, called me. Actually, I, I called her after my show was done. I was telling her I was driving home, and she's like, Scott Hall's wife has been on the phone with me for three hours. She called here. She's like, you know, can Al talk to someone in WCW? Can anything be done? It's like, man, I, I wish I could help. No one's going to listen to me on, on this. You know, as long as they're turning a buck, um, I, I, I don't know if you know anyone who was willing to step in and um you know but you know thank thank god he's you know again with ddp's health um exactly. thank god you know but yeah but ben, aew and even even hands off to wwe for for their wellness program for even guys you know moxley you know giving them the the ability you know to 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 get the help that they need you know, even though the guy's not working there right now, because he, you know, was part of the family, that they were able to help him out. That's that's awesome. Definitely, amen. And then another blessing Jake got was it was nice to see his resurrection of Jake the Stink. I oh, really yeah. like that also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, it, it, it sometimes I I <laughs> I get gun shy when someone makes a comeback. It seems like in like in music. Um, 
You know, it's like there's a, a, a band or a singer you haven't heard in years, and all of a sudden they chart, and you go, oh, man, I haven't heard him in so long. And then a week later, he's dead. And you're like, oh, no, what the oh, hell? Goodness. And it's like, yeah. I, I hate that. So, you know, it, 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 it's like the, the day you're going to get a haircut, your hair always looks the best. Um, you know, it's kind of always the same thing where it's like, oh, no, they're, uh, a, a new movie, a new thing. Oh, gosh, I hope, I hope they're okay. And <laughs> So in that case, yeah, thank God. Yeah, thank thank God we got a happy ending there. Definitely, and then say so. Hey, what was some of the most memorable matches you've seen? Some of those, I'll tell you. You know, one of the ones that I've seen that no one else has, and by no one else, I mean no one else who wasn't there in the building that night. Um, I was um, in California covering uh, Rick Bassman's uh, group. That like everyone came out of Cena came out of there and. Uh, Victoria came out of there. Oh, is it, they, you know, they, they had kind of a, a deal going with WWF as, as a um, you know stomping ground for them. And um, I was there when uh, Christopher Daniels was going to fight Kurt Angle. And WWF called the night before to say Angle's neck is hurt. I don't know if he's coming. I you know we don't know. Maybe he'll just do kind of a a run-in or an interview or something, you know, he, he, we, we don't know if he's going to do the show. Well, he ended up coming down and he did the show and he and Daniels, it was a clinic. It was amazing. I mean, the only other match that I saw, just from a, a technical standpoint, not, not one high spot after another, but went in there, psychology told a story um, the only other one that, that pops into my mind uh, the same way was um, I had gone to um, one of the Pillman shows in Cincinnati, and it was Benoit versus Regal. And it was just like right. everyone in the back just stopped whatever they were doing and were just watching, going, what, how, what, you know, like every move meant something. It was, no one was showing off. And, and, you know, here I am. It's like, granted, I, I kind of had low expectations because I was worried about Angle's neck. I was, you know, what bumps he could possibly take, you know, what he was going to do. And, man, it was magnificent. And it, it's, it's too bad that very few people got to see it, you know, that, you know, the two of them never got to be um, in a promotion together. But, you know, it was two guys at the top of their game who just worked it out. And again, you know, it's not like they'd been on the road working out a match. You know, they were calling it in the ring, and it was magnificent. So, you know, that that's up there. Um, you know, uh, other stuff that, that I, I look back and I loved, um, you know, I was there. I was there for the curtain call at Madison Square Garden, so that's, that was for a completely different reason. That was kind of, in, in my mind, that was almost where Scoops was born. Um, because that was a couple of years before, and I had taken pictures, and I ran home, and I contacted the guys over at Mikasa that it happened, and they didn't believe me. <laughs> Going, it happened. <laughs> no, that never would happen. No, it happened. Um, you know, I saw the um, SummerSlam, uh, Bret Hart, and uh, Mr. Perfect. I thought that was amazing. Um so yeah, I mean, I, I I I've seen a lot of great matches. Um, you know, one of the last ones I, that I think hooked my son completely um, was um, AJ Styles and Cena at SummerSlam a couple of years ago in Brooklyn. That was awesome. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I I could spend kind of hours um, just and and would would happily do so <laughs> talking about my favorite matches. My my son has now become a walking encyclopedia. He's much worse than I ever was. He's uh, he's okay. insane. Yeah. Nice. And I've really enjoyed your podcast. And uh, man, you got a good looking son that uh, I'm sure you're proud of. What what's he got going on? Oh, he's he's actually been working on uh, a podcast with some other guys uh, called Crash and Burn. Um, but he's uh, he's getting ready to go off to college. The kid's a genius. Got a full scholarship, so he's off and running. But, um, you know, he's looking to um, get further into the wrestling business than I ever did. Um, you know, he, he enjoys the podcasting. He, he enjoys putting in his two cents and whatnot, but he's looking into getting into production um, and maybe some writing. So, um, 
yeah, he's he. This kid is just unbound potential. So he's look look Nick Isaacs. You know, look for him in your grocer's freezer because he's going to be everywhere. I'm telling you. Nice. He, so how old is he now, and uh, what school is he going to? He's 17, and uh, I believe he's going to be going to my alma mater at uh, Hofstra University. Um, and uh, yeah, so they have a great broadcast journalism program there. So. And and I knew I knew he was going to be hooked. He I mean he's the one that got me, he dragged me back into it. Honestly, I, I have pictures. He was born uh, in late February, so I have pictures of of having him home like the first couple of days watching WrestleMania with me. Um, and then um, the Benoit tragedy happened, and I literally stopped watching. I walked away. I couldn't oh, watch yeah, anymore. Definitely. You know, it yeah, was yeah. you know. Too many, yeah. Between that and and you know, there were just too many tragedies with people. You know, Mike Awesome. There were, there were too many guys that I knew and really liked and really respected. And and, and the Benoit thing just kind of was like, oh, I can't. You know, uh, and and I walked away for a really really long time. And then um, Nick turned twelve, which again was about the age that I got into it. And he started watching, and he was watching more, and he was watching more. And uh, he asked me to show him some matches. I showed him some matches. And then he was watching the SummerSlam where Jon Stewart um, hit Cena with a chair. And he was freaking out. And um, that was the my, – my wife told me to do it. I, I decided to smarten him up. And I think he took that a lot worse than he took finding out about Santa Claus, who, by the way – is completely real for everyone listening. Um, and that was the moment I realized, I'm like, oh, man, this kid is. And, and, and I, then it, he became insatiable about it because then it became, you know, dissecting storylines and learning history. And I mean, he, he's like in school, he is a crazy history buff. And he kind of attacked professional wrestling the same way. Um, so, you know, we'll have hours long conversations, you know, about, you know, title reigns and, and why a certain match works and a certain match doesn't. And, you know, now getting to see it through his eyes and, and he kind of cultivates what I watch and when I watch it. So, you know, he's, he's awesome. Sweet. And so who's some of your guys' comedy influences? Comedy. Oh man. Now, now we're going. Um, so I got into comedy when I was 17 or 18. I had gone to a, com- a local comedy club here on Long Island, and the guy headlining um, was George Wallace, who, um, I, if, you, if you don't know who he is, look him up. Great comedian, but he's not the one I'm talking about. The guy I'm talking about was the guy who was opening for him, the featured act, who was billed as Klaus Myers. And Klaus got on the stage, and he was telling these jokes, and they were not very good. But he was just off the board from Germany, and his mother was from Frankfurt, and his father was from Hamburg, which means he is half Hamburger and half Frankfurter. Even in Germany, this joke sucks. So he was doing this, this bit, and then at the 30-minute mark, he begins to talk about how he has been in the country now for a little while, and he's backstage at the clubs. And when he is not busy, he will practice his English. And if he does it slow enough, he can speak English pretty well. My name is Jim Myers. I've never been to Germany in my life. Good night. And we went, oh, my God. Blew everyone's mind. Like everyone, like, just dropped. And I, look, I went, I want to do that. And um, from that moment on, that's when I started pursuing comedy. And, and, and I, I took a... a an improv comedy class, which I fell in love with. Literally, the only reason I took it was because it was just before open mic night, and I figured if I was taking the improv class, well, then the owner would see me sticking around. I'd be a familiar face. I can get some stage time. What I didn't know was that I happened to be taking an improv comedy class with Kevin James from King of Queens and uh, Joey O'Brien, um, who became a, a great writer, um, for some late-night guys and an amazing producer, and Gary Valentine, who in real life is Kevin James's brother, but always plays his cousin uh, on TV shows. So it was this crazy, crazy lineup. And I did uh, stand-up comedy for 
a bunch of years and then turned my sights uh, to doing uh, two-man improv. So what I ended up doing for a living was something akin to Whose Line Is It Anyway? Where um, it was a two-man show and me and my partner would make up an hour and a half of comedy um, as we went along, um, bringing people up on stage and doing stuff. So um, when you ask me who my influences are, um, you know, guys like uh, Robin Williams and Jonathan Winters when it comes to improv and just making stuff up as it goes. Um, you know, today I love uh, watching uh, John Mulaney. Um, I was a big Dennis Miller fan when I was, a, you, know, you know, growing up. Just his use of language was incredible. So, um, but, you know, and, and the usual, Steve Martin, George Carlin, Richard Pryor, um, Dave Chappelle, you know, so just, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a comedy nut. Nice. And a lot of those guys used to go on Johnny Carson and do the rare things of taking, he allowed them to take over the show and then they would have him rolling so much. He'd be falling off the chair. That was very impressive. Yes. Well, I mean, you, you can't, yeah, you know, something this is going to become a comedy podcast, but you can't look at anyone in the history of comedy who, who didn't do more, who didn't cultivate more talent than Carson, who just let, like you're saying, let them go. Because if you, if you did your act and then you were called to sit on the couch, you, you were made. That was it. You know, everyone from Seinfeld, you know, on, it just, that was, that was, you know, the network's calling, you know, Ray Romano. Yeah, yeah, the list of people that got their start on his show is outrageous. Also, well, yeah. anyway, we're getting down we're getting down to our uh, the end of our live show, mm. so we want to give you plenty of time to uh, promote whatever you like and and uh, and talk about whatever you like. Uh, but we can go longer than an hour. All but, right. Uh, anyway, we, one more of our uh, our standard questions are: What's your favorite coffee drink? My favorite, I'm, you know what, I'm just a regular coffee guy. I, you know, if, if I get a little, you know, mocha frappuccino was my uh, on stage um, drink of choice. Um, you know, I'm, I'm like, you know, everyone hears, you know, that I'm in comedy. They're into, oh, I guess, you know, you're drinking or whatever. I, 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 to this day, I have never touched alcohol. Go figure. Um, nice. But, yeah, that's weird, right? Um, but... Uh, someone you know back in the day had introduced me to um, mocha frappuccinos from Starbucks um, in the bottle, and um, if I was doing a couple of shows or if I was doing a late um, 2 a.m. prom show or what have you, that was that was it. That was my nectar. So I'd have to go with that. Nice. All right. Frapp- so there you go. Sign. That sounds like a. Solid coffee right there. Solid coffee choice. But Alan, <laughs> why don't you go ahead and plug anything you would want to plug? Say anything you would like to say. Well, as far as plugging goes, I'm going to have to ask you guys to have me back in about a year because um, there's a project near and dear to my heart that um, keeps popping up uh, that is wrestling related. Um, if you were a fan of Scoops back in the day, you probably remember a little cartoon that we did back then. And um, it was, it's been on and off and on and off and on and off. I, I, I couldn't tell you how many times. Well, it's back on again. So, unfortunately, at this moment, I can't talk about it too much. So have me back on, like I said, in about a year when I have a, uh, a, a, a pilot episode. and We can talk about it plenty. Um, but let's just say that for, for wrestling fans, you're going to love it. Um, as far as anything I want to say... Uh, I was thinking about this this afternoon, and um, I will say this to wrestling fans. Um, man, j- just love professional wrestling. Um, and I say this as a fan, um, that just because you don't like something doesn't mean it sucks. And I'm not taking that from the point of view of, of Jim Cornette. I'll, I'll preface that, and I'll talk about that in a second. But just as a fan... I think that people, especially with the Internet, um, they get in this mindset, if they don't like something, um, then it sucks. And whether that means that they like AEW, so therefore WWE sucks, or vice versa, or they like one indie, so the, in, the other indie sucks. Man, 
when you realize that, you know, we as a, a family of pro wrestling fans, we got to support one another. And that doesn't mean that you have to support the thing that you don't like. That just means that support the stuff you love. Just leave the other stuff alone. My wife of 26 years said something really, really, really wise to me a couple of years ago, which was this. Um, it isn't made for you. And she wasn't talking about wrestling at the time. She was actually talking about music because I've, I've been a drummer now for 40-something years. And I always had a, you know, an attitude or you know, something about a song I'd hear. Ah, that's no good. That's, you know, that's not, not like not when I grew up. You know? um, and she just said, you know, it, it's not made for you. And that relates to music. That relates to movies, to television. And I, I, I began to cultivate that in my head. That, and, and comedians, that not every comic is, was meant for me to give the thumbs up or thumbs down. It's not my cup of tea. They're not speaking to me. This TV show wasn't made for me. This song wasn't made for me. They don't need my okay. But there are other people who love this. So what gives me the right to attack it? So there's enough people out there who dislike pro wrestling and think – you know, that we're dopes for loving it the way we do, right? They can't think, you know, the first thing they got to say, you know, it's fake, right? And you're just going, oh, really? That's crazy. Um, you know, nowhere else in, in, in the arts do people do that. No one stands in the back of a movie theater going, this is fake. That's a, that guy is a stuntman. That's not Bruce Willis. You know, no one stands in the back of a Broadway theater screaming, hey, cats can't sing. This isn't real. But with pro wrestling, somehow people feel like they have the right or, or, you know, that this is their duty to tell you this is all fake. It's like, I love it. Leave me alone. So we have enough of those people that we as wrestling fans shouldn't be doing that to one another. It's like, it's okay. You know what? You know? If 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 you you don't like how WWE's booking something, okay, don't watch it. Don't pay for the pay per view. Don't buy the T shirt. You don't have to. No one's holding a gun to your head. Watch AEW. If you're not happy with what AEW is doing with something, don't watch it for now. Tune in at another time. And and this is coming from someone who man, I I was I was a New York kid, so I was WWF all the way back in the day, even with scoops. I, in the, the, the ironic thing is I knew more people in WCW, but, you know, when push came to shove, I was watching WWE first, and I would watch the taping of WCW afterwards. So love it all. You don't have to support it all. You don't have to – but just respect the other people and what they like enough to not attack them for liking it. That being, that's, that's as a fan. That's not to say that guys like Jim Cornette are wrong. I love Jim Cornette. Jim Cornette once left a message on my, on my answering machine that ate up the entire tape. I love Jim, and I, and I respect his opinion. And his opinion, though, is not from a fan. His opinion is from someone who has lived in, has loved the business, and who's, you know, the business has given him a very nice living for a very, very long time. Um, and that being said, I completely get when he's talking about outlaw mud shows and everything else because – Everyone is talking about wrestling from, you know, the, as one big product, and his product was not that. It would be like, you know, I, I had it when I was doing scoops, and towards the end, when all of a sudden everyone and their sister had a wrestling website, and they were all cannibalizing off of one another, and some of the stuff they were coming up with was pretty crazy, and kayfabe meant nothing anymore. And people would just lump together wrestling websites. Well, you're one of those sites. No, I wasn't. You know, I respected kayfabe and, and, and you know, the business. And, I, and you know, so, so I get Jim Coronet's point of when, you know, he doesn't particularly like a brand, a show, you know, whatever. I, I, I get that. I totally get that. And, I, and, and quite frankly, a lot of it I do agree with. But I would never tell someone to not love something in professional wrestling. Just like the same thing. I would never tell someone, you know, well, that comedian sucks. No, no, no. Just like my wife says, it was not made for me. So good for you. <laughs> that's, 
that's all I got to say about that. So, hey, well, how did Al Isaac, get a hold it you? has been an absolute pleasure, and we definitely want you back to talk about that project when the time is right. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for your time. Hey, hey Al, how do people get yeah. a hold of you? Um, you know what? Look me up on Facebook. I'm not hard to find. I'm, I'm out there. Um, you know, you, you, you never know what's going to be coming up next, so um, just look up Al Isaacs, I-S-A-A-C-S on Facebook. Drop me a line. Um, you know, it's always nice to hear from people who remember the stuff I did. And another question, who's some of your favorite drummers? Oh, man, now you're getting crazy. Got another half hour? <laughs> Here we go. Um, I was, again, when I look back at my life, and the, the opportunities and the fortunate things that have occurred and, and, and put me in the same room with people, it, it blows my mind. I studied um, for a few years with Liberty DeVito, who was Billy Joel's drummer. And Liberty is freaking awesome. Um, but above and beyond that, for personal reasons, um, you're Neil Peart, John Bonham, Keith Moon, um, Carl Palmer, um, you know, the, the, the usual suspects. I'm, I'm leaving about, about 50 that I, I know and love. Um, and my niece, uh, Samantha Harold, who you're going to be hearing about in years to come. Um, I joke with people because I started giving her drum lessons, and she's getting amazing very, very fast to the point that I'm going to start teaching her wrong because she's getting way too good, and in a few years she's going to be much better than I am. And I, I can't have that. My, my ego will not allow it, so I'm going to teach, start teaching her the wrong way. All right. Fantastic. All right. <laughs> well, Coach, anything you want to say, plug, or promote in closing? Yeah, you can uh, check me out or reach me at uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or uh, Instagram at Coach Mike Jones. Also, I'm on uh, YouTube at the NGW Green Room and the Real School Army. And then we got uh, February 6th, we got UFC Hall of Famer and Real School Army's own Stefan Bonner on. And then um, we also got uh, Short Sleeve Samson coming up. And then uh, don't forget also that we got uh, J.D. Burns and his wife are fighting in Tampa, Florida in the Bare Knuckle Fighting League. Uh, J.D. goes for the title. That's March 12th at the Tampa Fairgrounds. All right, well, we will be back with you next week. Next Friday afternoon, we have Timber Pro Wrestling promoter, my boss, Taylor Jury. And then one week from this very day, we have Jay Diesel with us. So it should be outstanding wrap-up to January. Everybody stay safe out there, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks a lot.